Hope you all are well this morning. I want to thank Pastor Josh for asking me to share God's Word with you this morning. There's, uh, there's no people that I would rather be doing this uh, with the first time I do it. So thank you for being here, and um, thank you, Pastor Josh. So we are in Genesis uh, chapter 6 today, among others. So, Noah, how do you picture him? Do you see Noah as a character in a nursery story or as a real-life man in history? Do you believe that Noah is somebody who God um, used in a unique and mighty way? Or is the story of Noah just a theme of your child or some other child's room? I'm doubtful that the whole biblical narrative of Noah is the theme of any child's room. Um, that, that probably would not be a good idea. Uh, you'll see as we go through it. But um, yet an ark on your mantle or um, better yet seeing a rainbow should always remind a Christian of the faithfulness of God and that he always keeps his promises. And how does anybody know what God's promised? Well, by his word. Quote, the authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed, depends not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. Therefore, it is to be received because it is the Word of God. And that's from the London Baptist Confession of Faith. In other words, we're not to believe the Bible because somebody else believes it. We're not to believe the Bible just because somebody that we know and trust says that it's true. Uh, We're to believe the Bible because it's God's revelation to humans, God's revelation of himself. We're to believe God. It's God speaking to us about himself. So I'll just give you a quick substantiation of that. If you'll bear with me, you may already be in Genesis chapter 6. if it's in your pew Bible, it, if you're looking at a pew Bible, it would be uh, about page five or six. It's pretty early. But just turn back a page or two, uh, if you would, um, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So who's speaking here? was the author of Genesis. It's not quoting anybody. It's just the author of Genesis speaking in verse 27. So you see the preceding verse in 26 is a quotation of God speaking. Okay, look to the right a little bit to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Now this is not a bait and switch sermon on marriage. You can come give you a little plug. You can come join our Young Marriage Fellowship sometime if you want to do that. But that's, that's not today. Um, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So who's speaking here? Again, the author of Genesis is speaking. It's not, it's not in quotations. So now keep your finger in Genesis because we're going to be back here. 
Uh, but turn to Matthew 19, if you want to turn there. In the Pew Bible, it's page 980. Jesus is being tested by some religious leaders here. And, uh, and listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ says to these religious leaders in verses 4 and 5 in chapter 19. He says, uh, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them, God, from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So who does Jesus say was speaking in Genesis 2.24? God. So Jesus is telling us that there, there is a quotation mark understood around all of Genesis, and that's God. So Jesus said that God wrote Genesis. Let's remember that now as we turn back to Genesis 6 and read about the actual man, Noah, as if we've not heard of him before now. Let's see who God says Noah is. So to hit chapter 6 running, I need you to see some highlights of chapter 5. And I'll just, I'll just tell you those, uh, though you may be looking at it yourself. So chapter 5 gives us the lineage of Noah. Uh, starting back with the first man, Adam, our original father. Now, ten generations passed, and prior to the time of Noah, people lived a whole lot longer than they live now, as we'll see. And in God's providence, he not only tells us the names, but he tells us uh, how long each of these men lived and how old they were when their named son was born. Uh, So picking up at verse 28 with uh, Noah's dad, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So when Noah was born to his father Lamech, a thousand and fifty-six years of time had passed since God created Adam. And if you want to just... Go through with a calculator on uh, chapter 5. That's what you should come up with. Lamech believed that Noah could be the promised Savior. All through the Old Testament, we see God's people looking for the promised Savior. Was Noah going to be the one? Was Joseph going to be the one? And we'll see how that turned out as we go through the text. But let's continue. Follow along with me in your Bible with verse 30 of chapter 5. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man. And they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, 
and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So much is here that we'll not be able to get into this morning, despite some assurances that Pastor Hunter may have made to you last week. Um, (laughs) We're going to have to try to fly through several chapters today, so uh, let's stick with the Noah narrative. And I'll I'll leave the topic of the Nephilim uh, to our our pastors who are uh, much younger and and, uh, uh, it's such a simple uh, subject. We'll just leave it to them, right? So... And I'm looking to learn something that day, too. So we see several key facts in the passage uh, we just read. One, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth when he was 500 years old. Two, God said man's days would be 120 years. We'll come back to that in a second. Three, man was so wicked that that he only thought of evil and only intended evil in his heart all the time. For God resolved to destroy mankind, the land animals, and the birds. And five, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So this is a lot. And we could spend our whole three hours here today just on this. Was that funny? <laughs> Y'all laugh. I, I was going through this last night with Louise, and she was struggling to stay awake, I have to, I have to say. So <clears throat> I won't tell you what time it was. So we could spend our time just on this, but let me just say a few things about him and we'll continue on in the text. So the first verse of chapter six is not really chronologically after the last verse of chapter five. It's a bit of an explanatory aside, essentially. So we'll get back to the chronology when we get to verse nine. In verse three, the reference to 120 years um, doesn't appear to be one where God is saying that that's going to be the average lifespan of from then on for man. Uh, because after the flood, we first, uh, for, for several hundred years, we see people who lived much longer than 120 years. You can look at Shem's descendants in chapter 11, uh, and those lived much longer. And then even later than that, um, Abraham lived 175, and this was several hundred years later. Uh, And then people lived much shorter than 120 years. Psalm 90, verse 10, uh, speaks of the man's lifespan being 70 years, 80 years if he's blessed. And we've kind of been at that for a while. So I think this 120 years then is most likely the period between God's statement and the flood itself. Um, Now, it's difficult to understand, as some of this may be, these first eight verses in chapter 8, really tell us what the fundamental issue, the basic conflict was, and that's the same conflict that's always been, man's rebellion against God. We know that every aspect of our lives is affected and touched by our sinful nature. James tells us in verses uh, 14 and 15 of the first chapter of James that each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And in Noah's day, it was no different. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great 
in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The people of Noah's time were clearly evil, with no intention of doing good. So look at verse 6. The meaning of this verse can't really go unaddressed here today. The Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So regret, or if you're looking at the New American Standard, it says sorry, is not in contradiction with the rest of Scripture, which teaches that God does not change, and he does not change his mind. Here in verse 6, he's speaking to us in terms that we can understand, much like a wise parent of a two-year-old. The text is picturing God in terms of our experience, in terms of our knowledge and our emotions. When humans sin or repent, we could say that God changes his mind with regard to the blessing or the punishment. But the fact is that God is working all things to his purpose at all times, all according to the counsel of his own will. He doesn't change like we do. He doesn't learn new information. His plan and his purpose have stood and will stand forever. He's faithful. And if you're in Christ, you can take comfort in the knowledge that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never has contingency plans. Oh, okay, let me, uh, let me see what I'm going to do now. Um, he's done that. Now, the Lord instates his divine intention to blot out and destroy mankind as well as all the land animals and the birds. But, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Praise God. In verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah was righteous. He was blameless. And he walked with God. Here we see a described progression of faith and a living out of that faith. Now, one's righteous when he lives by the standards of God. And you might ask, um, well, how could anybody do that, especially before the law was even given? But the answer would be the same at any point in human history. Righteousness comes to the believer from God by faith. Romans four thirteen and 14 says, that For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it's the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. For if, sorry, if it is the adherents of the law to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So it's through faith. And that faith itself is a gift of God, Paul tells us in Ephesians. So blameless, Noah was blameless. Here is similar to the use we see in in 1 Timothy 3. In the list of qualifications for elders and deacons. It's not speaking of sinlessness, but that the man's devotion to God and his and his in God's commands are above reproach. No one can bring a credible charge against him. So Noah was set apart from the rest, and his life was all about pleasing the Lord. Noah walked with God. This would be the highest that could be said of somebody. Noah, as did his great-grandfather Enoch, walked with God. One man walking with God and the rest of mankind, only evil hearts, only evil intent all the time. So God reveals his plan to Noah there in verse 14. Make yourself an ark. 
And the Lord continues with specific commands on how and how large to construct the ark. Now, despite the children's song that's been going through my head for I can't tell you how long, Scripture does not indicate that old brother Noah built the ark, built it out of hickory bark. It wasn't hickory. Though it is correct in saying he built it long, both wide and tall, with plenty of room for big and small. So the length, I was thinking about this. Okay, I've not been to the Ark Encounter. Um, Maybe some of you have, but I'm just trying to picture how big was the Ark. And so I went on Google Maps, and you can measure distance. You know you can measure distance on Google Maps? So I looked at the uh, satellite photo of the church land, and if you can picture that parking lot that's on the far end of the church back there on the other side of the offices, It's not that wide, but if you go to the far edge of that parking lot, all the way to the wall behind a choir practice room here, that's about 450 feet, which is about 300 cubits. And if you think of the width at the widest part of the church back there in the offices, it's about 75 feet this side to this side. And that's about 50 cubits, which is about how wide the ark was. And so I was bugging Ken Clark yesterday. How tall is the steeple, Ken? Um, And uh, I think the steeple's probably a bit taller. But the ark was about 45 feet high. But Ken said those lights out there in the parking lot are about 30 feet high. So maybe half again. Um, Not sure how high it is in here, but about 45 feet high. So that's about how big the ark is. So basically our church building is roughly the size, if that helps. So the ark was to have rooms, a roof, and three levels. And picking up in verse 17 of the chapter, um, you know, the chapter here, so everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. So Noah was commanded to take all the kinds of foods that were eaten as well, not meaning simply that he needed a varied diet, but uh, remember, he's going to need food for all the animals too. Verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And the narrative continues on into chapter 22. And the Lord tells Noah that of the clean animals and the birds, he's to take seven pair each. And verse 5 of chapter 7 repeats 622 that Noah did all that God commanded him. Now, some of you detailed folks may be thinking, hang on, the list of unclean animals, where's that? It's not until much later. Uh, It's given to Moses many centuries after this, but uh, that's true. And yet, who's the one that gave that list of animals to Moses? Well, same one speaking to Noah. Yeah. So let's think of the timeline a little bit. We'll need to do a little bit of deduction uh, via subtraction and addition. So we're on the cusp here of the flood beginning in 7, verse 6. And Noah, now don't do like I did and confuse Noah and Moses' name sometimes, but... uh, so stick with me. Noah is 600 years old. Um, how old was he when his sons were born? If you think back, he was 500 when his sons were born. And you remember I'm arguing that Noah got the word about building the ark and the flood 120 years before the flood. 
Um, I could be wrong about that. I don't think so, but you might want to do your own research. But, uh, so I'm arguing that when Noah had been working on the ark for 20 years, it's when he had his sons. Um, have you ever wondered what it would be like or what it was like for Noah during this period that he was building the ark? Noah building the ark, raising three sons, whether they were born after he started or when he started. He's raising three sons, no doubt having them work alongside him from the time they could carry the smallest piece. I can picture some of my uh, young friends here in the church helping their dad for decades, for longer than any of us had been alive. He worked on that ark. These sons, finding wives, knowing their family will be responsible for repopulating the earth, I mean, there's pressure enough finding the right wife in today's, uh, but they knew God was going to provide. So just like he does today, Noah building the ark all the while preaching the word from God through his own life of faith, a herald of righteousness as our brother um, uh, was reading in the chapter just after uh, in second Peter two, five, Noah was a herald of righteousness. Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah, building the ark while all the world carried on their evil lives as though nothing would ever change. Jesus said in Matthew twenty four thirty seven through 39, For as, it, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So how many people are we talking about? relative to the earth's population today, which is about 7.98 billion, if it's not already 8 billion. So Dr. Peter Goman, assistant professor of Old Testament and biblical languages at Shepherd's Theological Seminary, has written very briefly on this topic. Um, Dr. Goman explains that at the time of the flood, 1,656 years had passed since creation. I'll just tell you, I went looking for this uh, research and just out of curiosity, and one of the first results that came up was uh, was this written by uh, by Dr. Goman, who is actually Hunter Hayes' good friend and mentor and, and one of his professors at Shepherd, so I thought that was pretty cool. But Dr. Goman said that uh, 656 years had passed since creation, and considering the average lifespan being so much longer than it is now, and environmental conditions being much more conducive to life, the growth rate would have been significantly higher probably than what we experience. And he goes on to cite Israel's extremely high growth rate in Egypt, even under harsh conditions while they were there for 400 years. Uh, And at the time of the flood, even considering man's inherent evil, which would likely have resulted in violence, murder, and war, Dr. Goldman makes a strong case that the Earth's population could have been even higher than it is today. We can't know this. We don't know. 
or speculate with any more accuracy than we can about other things from that time that are not recorded for us in Scripture. It would just be speculation. But the point is this, whether that day's population was as much as it is today or a few million, only eight humans were saved. Only eight. Look at Genesis 7. And as we read this narrative in certain other Old Testament passages, at various places, the verses sort of overlap. By that I mean they partially repeat a fact or a detail that's also mentioned a little earlier or a little later. Um, and it just sort of builds on itself. So come with me as I walk through the timeline, and I'll cite some verse numbers for you as we go. So Noah's 600th year, and at this point, according to chapter 5, Noah's father Lamech had only been dead for about five years. And Noah's grandfather, Methuselah, who lived longer than anyone else recorded in Scripture, had only just passed away sometime that same year at 969 years old. And then the Lord tells Noah in 7 verse 1, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now, I'm going to hold up a calendar here, and uh, I'm going to lean on a prop for a second, but I'm going to get you to follow along with me. And I don't know, does anybody else here keep calendars that are like 25 years old. Um, if you uh, have somebody in your, in your home that does that, be thankful for them like I'm thankful for mine. Um, but in any case, okay, so Noah, um, in the 600 year of Noah, the second month, the 10th day, Noah entered the ark uh, in Genesis chapter 7, verses 4, 10, and 11, it says. And then seven days later, verse 11, in the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the deep, great deep, burst forth, and the windows of heavens were open, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. So the water flooded the earth for 150 days. You see in chapter 7, verse 24. Verse 18, The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Verse 21, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who are with him in the ark. In the 600th year of Noah, in the seventh month, the seventh day, the waters began to recede. In verse 24 and, and chapter 8, verse 1, the waters later receded to the point uh, that the ark was rested on Ararat in the seventh month on the 17th day. And then the waters continued to abate 
continued to abate. And then the waters had uh, gone away so much so that the tops of the mountains were visible in the 600th year in the 10th month on the first day. Forty days later, in the 600th year, the 11th month, the 10th day, Noah sent out a raven and a dove. Let's go to the text here. All right, looking at chapter 8, verse 10. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth a dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she didn't come back. I still remember my mom telling me that story, and that was just the neatest thing, (laughs) to have that memory pop up. Uh, In the 600th and first year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the waters were dried from all the earth. In all, this took um, 61 days, uh, two months and one day for the waters to dry. And then by Noah's, um, by Noah's 601st year on the first month, the water had dried up. So Noah waited one month and 26 days before he disembarked in the second month on the 27th day of his 601st year. So from beginning to end, the flood lasted one year and 10 days. And maybe some of you thought 40 days and 40 nights and then it's done. No, it was a long process. Uh, And Noah and his family were on that ark for over a year, taking care of those animals. Hmm. So, who shut the door, looking in in verse 16 of chapter 7? If we look back, the Lord shut the door. God's completely sovereign and in control of every detail of the flood, just as he always is. All right, and in uh, picking up in chapter 8, verse 20, um, Noah and his family and the animals uh, exited, had exited the ark at the command of the Lord. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I've done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God's command to Adam to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth was repeated to Noah and Noah's sons. And yet there were some significant differences in this new creation order. Uh, The animals were to have a fear and a dread of man and be afraid of man. Um, Every moving thing, in verse 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Now, some scholars wonder whether this was the initiation of the practice of man having meat in his diet, and it, it might be that it was. But I think there's an even bigger point here. Um, even even though God distinguished between clean and unclean animals entering the ark, such that there were seven pairs of the clean animals, he doesn't make the same distinction with man's diet at this point. 
Man's permitted to eat any animal, just as he is in the new covenant. Mark seven eighteen and 19. And he said to them, Jesus speaking, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all, all foods clean. So any animal was fair game until God gave the law to Israel through Moses, the, though the eating of blood was prohibited, we see in verse 4. Because blood and life are directly connected, and all life belongs to God. And God tells us in verses 5 and 6 that for the killing of human by another human or by an animal, that killer will pay with his life. Well, let's look at last at God's covenant with Noah, picking up at verse 12 in chapter 9. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So Christian, when you see a rainbow, your first thought, should be to remember who created that rainbow and why. The Lord God our Father did is a perpetual promise. His covenant that he'll never again destroy life on earth through means of a flood. What we know is the Noahic covenant was the first covenant God made with man. And the rest of chapter 9 gives us a bit about Noah's life after the flood and we see that he was not perfect uh, proving so by getting drunk on his own wine. Though that's not the main focus of this last section, that focus would be the curse and the blessings uh, from Noah following this incident. Noah curses his grandson Canaan because of the sin of Noah's son, Ham, Canaan's father. Noah had already blessed Ham in verse 1, so Noah's curse fell on Ham's youngest son. Verse 25, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And Canaan shared his father Ham's moral corruption. Ham's other descendants would eventually include, in addition to the Canaanites, most of Israel's worst enemies, Egypt, Philistia, Assyria, and Babylon. Verse 26, he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So the promise of Messiah is narrowed. The promise of the line will come through Shem's line, the Semites. Verse 27, May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So blessings would come to the descendants of Japheth through Shem. God, speaking to Israel through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 42, 6, said, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. 
So to finish out the narrative of Noah, after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, when, and he died. So what can you and I learn from the life of Noah? Number one, pray for a greater comprehension of the holiness of God. We don't understand how God could wipe out all of humanity except for eight people because we don't have a biblical view of the holiness of God or the depravity of man. We don't see how God is pure and holy and see man as he really is, desperately wicked. Pray for a greater comprehension of those facts, of the holiness of God and of who man really is. Number two, don't let it take the likes of a flood in your own life to make you understand that you cannot hide your sin from God. We think we've become adept at hiding our sin, and some of us are better at hiding it than others. Um, Some folks that I've met uh, in uh, Golden Gate Park when my wife and I have been out there visiting our daughter and uh, making pancakes for folks that are camping and living in Golden Gate Park. Um, those guys don't have uh, the means to be able to hide much of their sin. And so the world sees them in that way. Whereas somebody standing up in front of you with a suit and tie on, you know, he can hide it. So, but God can't, or God can see the sin that we're trying to hide. So don't let it take the likes of a flood in your own life to make you understand that you can't hide your sin from God. Nothing can be hidden in a flood. Nothing can remain standing in a flood. And nothing can be dressed up to appear dry in a flood. Number three, don't be one of the many millions or maybe even billions who'll be caught unaware I read for you before Matthew 24, the words of our Lord. Um, That same event was recorded in Luke. Luke chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Friends, if you're not in Christ, if you don't know whether you're a Christian, it's urgent that you consider your spiritual state. A physical ship's not going to save you. A rocket to Mars, if you're a billionaire, is not going to save you. The only way that you can be preserved through the coming destruction that Christ himself promises be it before or after you physically die, is by being a member of the family of God, a child of God. Not everybody's a child of God. Did you know that? I didn't know that for a long time. But John, um, in chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, 
nor the will of man, but of God. Jesus came into the world. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, truly God and truly man. He lived a perfect, sinless life that no one else could ever live. He died an atoning death that neither you or I could ever do. And to prove that all he said and all that he did was true and ordained by God, God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, bodily raised him. And today he still lives, and he's preparing a place for those who place their full trust and belief in him. He's the true, saving, eternal ark that Noah, Noah's ark, and all other faithful witnesses in the Old Testament are pointing to. Won't you join his family? Will you pray with me? Father, you are so, so good. How can we ever, how can we ever describe how good you are, Lord? In spite of who we are and what we've done, you've loved us before we even thought of you. Lord, you sent your Son and provided a perfect plan of salvation, Lord. We praise you for that. We praise you for your word in the Old Testament and the New Testament, pointing all to the central point of the cross, Lord, and your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, I pray that uh, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, who isn't assured by the story of Noah, by the narrative, by the truth of Noah and what happened in his life, Lord, I pray that you would save them. I pray that you would change their heart Bring them to you. Put them on the ark. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for the comfort that you give us and the teaching that you give us here. Lord, I pray for um, everyone here today. Please be with us as we go out this week. In your son's holy name, amen. Amen.